Pastor Steve Converse begins today's broadcast of Graceful Truth with this observation. If you're truly saved, you are saved in hope. A person's salvation is not real unless it has that future fulfillment. Remember what we said a couple weeks ago, salvation without glorification is not salvation. And so he says here that this hope is something that's an unseen reality. From Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City, this is Graceful Truth. Hi. Welcome to our time together today. We're back in the book of Romans, message simply entitled, Three Groans for Glory. That is a part of our series that we're looking at, wherein Paul lays out for us the truth and reality of the fall, but yet the hope we have in Christ and a future with him for all time and all eternity. Join us. For today's broadcast, we begin by looking at our future bodies. Here's Pastor Steve now. Well, what is that body going to be like? The best description is over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look there, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, look at verse 35. Paul talks about the resurrection of Christ. He talks about the resurrection of the dead. And then he talks about the resurrected body, what it's going to be like. It doesn't give us a whole lot of information. But between this and some of the Gospels, what Jesus did after he was glorified, he was able to eat. People recognized him when he wanted them to recognize him. He was able to walk through doors and things like that. That's kind of neat. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Look at what he says in verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body do they come? With what kind of body do they come? And look at what Paul says, you foolish person. (laughs) What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be but a bare kernel, perhaps of weed or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body what's he saying he says we don't know we really don't know if I gave you a handful of seeds you probably couldn't tell me exactly what each one was maybe if you planted them in the ground and then you let the tree grow and after a couple years you had fruit oh that was this kind of seed because this kind of fruit or was this kind of seed because this kind of flower is producing he says in verse 39, for not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory, sun and another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars for the stars differ from star in glory and then he says in verse 42 so it is with the resurrection of the dead what is sown is perishable what is raised is imperishable that's basically what he tells us it is sown in dishonor it's raised in honor it is sown in weakness it's raised in power it is sown a natural body but look it says it is raised a spiritual body if there is a natural body There is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. 
But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, the man of the dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the, what, the man of heaven. And then he says in verse 50, just understand, your body is not going to heaven. He said, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be what? Changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For the perishable body must put on imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because it's not in vain. Because one day God will do what he said he's going to do. And we will have our redeemed body. And, you know, that's going to be a glorious thing. And I'm kind of eager for that to happen. To be honest, sometimes I get kind of jealous when I know a believer and he dies. Or she dies thinking, man, they're, they're freed from any care or concern that we have down here. They're in the presence of their Lord and Savior. I mean, of course, we're left here to clean up whatever, but, but you know what? They're in the presence of the Lord and Savior. And that's something that we should yearn for. That's something that we should look forward to. That's where this hope comes from in verse 24 and 25, back to Romans 8. He says, for in this hope, we were what? We were saved, verse 24. Now, the hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees? That'd be kind of silly. If I invite you over for dinner, I'm sitting on the couch saying, man, I hope they get here in time. I hope they get here in time. I hope they get here in time. Pretty soon you knock on the door and you're sitting at the dinner table and I'm still saying, man, I hope they get here on time. That wouldn't make any sense. Why would I be hoping for something that's there? That's what he's saying. So the believer's hope is something that we don't see. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it. Look at what it says. With what? With patience. With patience. Do you ever have your patience run out? We all have. And you know what? Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that's a bad thing. Depending on what you're waiting for. But here it says we have to wait with patience. We have to know that God will be faithful. I mean, when you look at, you know, the wheels are coming off the cart here in the world in which we live. I mean, you got these terrorist things, you got all this stuff going on. That can cause a real fear, a real panic in the hearts of people if you're not careful. But you got to go back to the fact that, you know what? God sees what's going on, He knows exactly what's happening. He's in control. 
And we should allow his spirit to be in control because it's through the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. All those things are, are how we need to wait for the redemption of our body. And that's the hope that in which we were saved. We're saved by grace through faith. And it's so important that when we think of hope as being an essential part of that salvation. That Greek word there where it says we are saved. It's interesting because it's in the aorist passive tense. And it implies that our salvation, as I said earlier, was planned in the past. It's bestowed in the present. And it gives hope for the future. I mean, you can't separate hope from salvation. If you don't have salvation, I hate to tell you, but you don't have any hope. There's no hope. But when you have trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, and he's made you a new person in Christ, Jesus said himself in John 17, 12, that his father would not lose one. He would not lose one that his father has given to him. All right, there's no such thing as, as starting this process of salvation and then somehow losing your way and losing your salvation. That's heresy. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that if you're saved, you will be saved. You will be glorified because it's God that's doing the work, not you. And that should help us to sleep well at night. And then you have people that say, well, what about, you know, I knew a guy that when I was in high school, man, he was just a Bible-thumping kind of guy, and everybody called him a preacher, and he was really, really, when, today he's not even walking with the Lord. Do you think that he lost his salvation? No, he never had it. Never had it. Just because you're thumping a Bible, just because you're living a, a life that looks righteous on the outside, that doesn't mean you're saved. The Bible says that as Christians... We need to what? Make sure of our salvation. That we need to persevere. He who endures to the end will be saved, the Bible says. So it's important that we understand that even though God is doing this work in our hearts and in our lives, that doesn't mean we just take, you know, Chase Lounge on Easy Street and sit back and kick around until the Lord comes back. No. We have to do our due diligence in living a life that's honoring to him. Everyone who comes to Christ is secure in Christ. And we're saved not only to experience the immediate redemption of our bodies, but also to have that hope for future salvation of our bodies. Um, Over in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17, 19, it says this, God willing... God willingly more abundantly to show onto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. 1 Thessalonians, Paul, in chapter 5, verse 8, refers to the believer's helmet as the hope of what? Salvation. The hope of salvation. I'm always disturbed when I run into Christians who are uncertain. They're unsecure, insecure in their salvation. They're constantly worrying about whether they're saved or not. 
people that have that idea that somehow you can gain your salvation, then you can lose your salvation, and then you can gain your salvation. They don't have a biblical understanding of what salvation is. They really don't. And today, unfortunately, in many churches, the gospel has been cheapened, has been lowered down to the bottom shelf. And basically, if you say that Jesus is your Lord, then you're saved. It's very important that we realize that salvation is something that God does for us. And he is the one who does it. You stop and you ask, well, what about the people that think you can lose your salvation? They may even be a Christian. But you know what? Just because they think they can lose their salvation doesn't mean they can. (laughs) Because God's word trumps what they think. Just like it trumps what we think or how we feel. Are there days, to be honest, when I don't feel saved? Definitely. (laughs) That doesn't make it so. If you're truly saved, you are saved in hope. A person's salvation is not real unless it has that future fulfillment. Remember what we said a couple weeks ago. Salvation without glorification is not salvation. Salvation is only realized when we are glorified in eternity future. And so he says here that this hope is something that's an unseen reality. Reminded of Paul, Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will what? Will be faithful to perform it. He will be faithful. That's being confident of who you are in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 13 says, Gird up the loins of your mind. In other words, get your thoughts together. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Live in that constant anticipation. Lord, is it going to be today? Maybe it's going to be tonight. You're going to come for me. Or I'm going to go to you. But he knows when. We need to long for that redeeming of our, our bodies. And that's what the Spirit tells us to do here. In 1 Thessalonians 1.3, Paul says, We remember without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus. Christian is not a, somebody who's constantly running around thinking horrible thoughts. No, we have hopeful thoughts. We should understand that what we're waiting for will one day come to pass. Well, he also says here, <clears throat> not only does the believer groan, We'll see if we can get through verse 26 and 27. But also the Spirit. It says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So we have creation groaning, we have believers groaning, and now we have the Holy Spirit groaning. And they're all groaning for the same thing. The ultimate glorification of everything that we know to be true. He joins, the Spirit joins in creation and believers here. Moaning or groaning over the fallen state that we find ourselves in. He really wants us to be revealed as sons of God. That's why Paul in Romans 7 verse 24 he groans and he says, man, how, how wretched am I? Who shall deliver me, what, from this body of death? 
And now the Holy Spirit groans within us, in a, within us because he totally understands. He totally gets it. Now, I want to say something here that, that people need to understand. I don't know where you're at on this issue, but this is very clear. In verse 26, when it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. This is not talking about what the modern-day charismatic movement would call the gift of tongues. That has, has nothing to do with this passage. Nothing, absolutely nothing. Some charismatics say, well, see, this is the gift of, of tongues because, you know, we, we can't pray as we ought. And, and so if you just start jibber-jabbering, and, and, and then that's the gift of tongues. What's ironic is when you talk about the gift of tongues that's in the modern-day charismatic movement, what's interesting to me is that people of different faiths have the gift of tongues. You have Hindu people that speak in the gift of tongues. You have people that do not serve the God of the Bible speaking in the gift of tongues. And you have to stop and you have to go back to Corinthians. And that's not our point here this morning. But you have to understand what that gift was. That gift clearly was a language. It had to be a language. All you have to do is read the context in Corinthians and Acts where that gift was played out. They were speaking in a language... That could be understood. It wasn't some... It wasn't that. That's not what the gift of tongues is. But unfortunately, many in the charismatic movement today believe that's exactly what the gift of tongues is. And that's what they practice. And that's not of God. Personally, I think a lot of it's psychosomatic. I think that they're taught how to do that. I've been in churches where they take you to the little prayer room and tell you, just let your, just, just let your mind go free. Just let your tongue, just, 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 just start to talk like a baby. That's what they do. And under the pressure of their influence, people begin to do just that. And it's unfortunate. Because it's, it's erroneous teaching. And then people begin to seek an experience rather than the truth of what God's word says. Clearly understand here that the Holy Spirit, here in in Romans 8 verse 26, it's the Holy Spirit who is speaking. (laughs) It's the Holy Spirit who is praying. It's not people. It's not talking about the gift of tongues. It's not talking about people having the gift of tongues. And even if it was, it says, you know what? The Holy Spirit does this with groanings that cannot be what? Uttered. In other words, nothing. I think about that and I think of our brother Jerry when he, when he was in the fellowship hall. And people were, and he had his mini stroke and everybody's concerned. Are oh, you doing okay? He couldn't talk. He could, not, he could not talk. He couldn't utter a word at a certain point. And so the the Spirit doesn't really speak. It says here, the groanings he emits cannot be uttered. Nothing in the context is related to the issue of speaking in languages, tongues. 
In verse 26, it begins there, likewise. In other words, he's saying, just as creation groaned, just as believers groaned, well, you know what? The Holy Spirit groans. The Holy Spirit wants us to get rid of our sin just as much as we do. That's why he convicts us of it. Well, he intercedes, it says here in verse 26, that the Holy Spirit's ongoing work in us is to intercede. We know that our salvation is eternal, but we have to be kept saved, 1 Peter 1.5. That's a divine work of the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Spirit works with Christ to keep us saved. He intercedes for us. While it's true that salvation is eternal, beloved, it's still carried out by the Son's intercession. You can't separate God's plan from the work of Christ and the work of the Spirit. It's all together. The Lord said that he would pray that Peter's faith would what? Remain. Remember that? Would God answer that prayer? Jesus predicted he would, saying to Peter, when you are converted, when you've overcome the trial... Strengthen the brethren, he says. See, God has already planned for the believer's security. And it's the Son and the Spirit's job to carry out that security. That's why 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's a constant interceding on our behalf. We don't just get saved, all our sins are forgiven, and then live perfect lives. No, God continues to intercede in our lives. You say, well, can't we pray for ourselves? Well, you can try. But the problem is, we don't know exactly what God's will is. We struggle with sin. We struggle with our flesh. We don't know what the future holds. Only the Lord knows when something will happen to us. Just as he knew that Peter was about to be tested, Peter had no clue. Peter didn't know what was going to happen. He could have walked blindly into a trial and been overcome by it. So the Lord prayed for Peter, even before the trial occurred. So the Savior and the Spirit intercede for us because, you know what, we can't maintain our own redemption. The Spirit helps, he says here, our weaknesses. He doesn't just help us in our our weak prayers. He helps us in our our mortal, sinful state. Peter was safe because Christ prayed for him. We should be grateful that Christ also prays for us. He helps us in our weaknesses. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says, Christ is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto him by God, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. What does it mean to be saved to the uttermost? It means, it means to be saved completely from salvation to glorification. That's something that God will do. A salvation that is past, present, and future. And that future is as good as done, according to God, at least what we read here in Romans. Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. 
We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. Gracefultruth.org is where to go. And while you're at our website, don't forget to download our mobile app, new and improved and ready to use, whether you're securely donating online or taking advantage of the podcasts on your mobile phone, simply go to iTunes or Google Play and look for Grace Bible Church Redwood City-CA. Or stop by our website, gracefultruth.org, and follow the prompts. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.